Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. This episode features Heather Payne, CEO at HackerU and founder of Ladies Learning Code. Hey, Heather, thanks for joining us on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, before we kick this off, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you're from, what did you study, and uh, how did your passion in entrepreneurship uh, develop? Sure. Uh, so I uh, grew up outside of Toronto uh, in Brampton and uh, went to Western uh, to study business. Uh, so I graduated with a business degree in 2009. Um, and that whole time, actually, entrepreneurship wasn't really something that I was um, necessarily interested in. Uh, I went through all of university thinking that I would uh, join, you know, like a Fortune 500 company and work my way up or something like that. And it wasn't until after I graduated and uh, I guess, you know, really realized that I preferred smaller companies because you get to be a little bit more of a generalist. Um, and, you know, I really like to have a generalist skill set that uh, I realized that maybe entrepreneurship and startups and smaller companies was more my thing. So, uh, spent a couple years, uh, you know, getting some work experience in different places, and then um, sort of had the idea of, um, you know, making coding workshops accessible to women, and that's sort of what took me on to the entrepreneurial journey that I am on today. You founded Ladies Learning Code in 2011, and three years later, it has over 19 chapters um, in different cities. How did you decide to start this organization? Yeah, so I uh, graduated from, like I said, from university in 2009, and uh, that was a, a tough year to graduate. Uh, the economy had just sort of collapsed that yeah. fall, and um, I actually did have a job coming out of school, but uh, something about it, uh, you know, I just, I just thought that it wasn't going to be the right fit for me. And so I uh, spent some time uh, traveling and things like that. And while I was away, um, you know, in preparation to come back to Canada, I thought that I should uh, enhance my skills a bit and somehow stumbled into coding and thought, okay, you know, I should, I should learn some coding skills, learn to build websites that'll enhance my resume. Um, and started exploring it and actually through that realized that it was more than something I just wanted to put on a resume. It was actually something that I was really passionate about that I really loved. Um, so I started teaching myself how to code um, and did that for basically two years, sort of using Google as my uh, resource and figuring it out. And some months I had a lot of success and would feel cool about having built something. And then some months I would just be so frustrated with not knowing how to figure out something that was challenging that I'd you know, give up for a while. But it never went too far away. I was always like back into it eventually. Um, so after learning on my own for two years, I thought, you know, uh, actually, I ended up um, in Los Angeles uh, for work at the time, and I ended up at a workshop for women who wanted to learn Python. It was like this sort of uh, thing organized by a bunch of women who thought this would be a nice contribution to the community. Um, and you know, not very long into that workshop, I was like, "Holy crap! I need to, I need to make this happen in Toronto. This is awesome." 
Um, so I uh, just got back to Toronto and tweeted about how we should have uh, a group in Toronto for women who want to learn how to code. And uh, it pretty much just took off from there. It started off as a super small idea. So, you know, we started with one workshop. Um, and we, you know, charged people 30 bucks and we had 30 students and, um, it was really successful. So we did another one and then we did another one and another one. And, uh, it's been super organic growth over the past three years, um, that have gotten the organization to where they are today. I actually don't run it anymore. Um, day to day it's being run by two of my co-founders because I actually have my own uh, business now that I'm, that I'm running full time. Yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. So how did you, uh, actually hack the growth for uh, ladies learning code? I mean, 19 chapters in less than three years. That's pretty fast. Yeah, we were, uh, we definitely took our time with it at the beginning anyway. We were just in Toronto for the first year and really making sure that we understood, you know, what value the workshop was bringing to people and that we could, you know, run a really successful workshop for, you know, very diverse audience and, you know, develop a whole bunch of different topics and stuff like that. So we were pretty, um, you know, we kept it pretty small for the first year. And then once the opportunity to expand came, and, and it actually came in this case through uh, Simon Fraser University being interested in partnering with us to bring the organization to Vancouver um, and we thought about you know is this something that we want to do and and we decided we'd give it a try and it worked super well it turns out that it wasn't just um, you know the Toronto tech community that was willing to support a group like Ladies Learning Code it was definitely at least Vancouver as well um, and then you know after that we brought it to Ottawa and things like that so we had somebody on my team uh, Melissa Cernick who now co-runs Ladies Learning Code um, she uh, sort of spearheaded the expansion um, and uh, I think the reason it worked is because, um, first of all, there was so much sort of word of mouth for Ladies Learning Code very early on. You know, people would sign up for a workshop and, you know, they're very accessibly priced. So you could either like go out for lunch one day or you can go and learn, you know, for an entire day where lunch is included. Um, so the price really helps. And then once people are there at a workshop, they really want to talk about it. So, you know, people would come to these workshops and they'd be tweeting about what they're learning and sharing screenshots and, and stuff like that. So uh, word spread quickly that way and word spread easily beyond Toronto, you know, that way as well through people having Twitter followers in different cities. Um, and then I think the other thing was just that, you know, the workshops are really fun. Um, you know, you get to learn something, everything's hands-on and project-based. At the end of the day, you've made something uh, for the first time. And uh, that appeals to a lot of different people, not just people in a certain city. So once we had a formula, which was, you know, a four-to-one ratio of students to instructors, and once we had some great content um, and great sort of inspiring spaces to learn in, um, that's always been important to us. Uh, taking it to other cities and, and, uh, and expanding it wasn't too difficult. The other key as well was that um, we didn't, we didn't, we never like forced it on another city. Um, we only ever expanded Ladies Learning Code when somebody from that city wanted to champion bringing Ladies Learning Code to their city. So, um, you know, the first, uh, uh, the first few chapters were led by people who were so excited about the opportunity to bring Ladies Learning Code in that they worked with us to do it. And that's still the case today. Um, so every single chapter is sort of run locally by someone who loves the Ladies Learning Code mission, wanted to spearhead the organization in their city, um, and they we really do consider them to be sort of part of our core team. Yeah, I mean, I really, I've really felt that. Uh, I've, I've attended a few uh, back in the day as well, a couple of years ago now here in Ottawa, um, and I really felt that that energy and that creativity, and it was always a good time for sure. Yeah, definitely. What are the plans for the future of Ladies Learning Code? Uh, so that's actually a really good question. Like I said, I, uh, I stopped leading the organization in December as HackerU was ramping up for a big year this year and needed a full-time CEO. So um, 
I actually don't know specifically what the plan is for 2015. Uh, I am sitting on the board, and so I do get to, to hear what's happening in board meetings. And I don't know if you got to see it just uh, this week. They released, um, Ladies Running Code released a three-year anniversary report that kind of summarizes um, all of the amazing stuff that have happened, that has happened in the past three years. And, you know, just incredible numbers of people touched by this and awesome stories of people changing their lives and stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, my guess is more of the same. Uh, definitely what I've heard is that the youth programs are really, really growing quickly and there's a lot of demand for the youth program. So probably more um, workshops and programs for both girls and then kids, um, co-ed workshops for kids as well. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, three years is, uh, it's, a, it's a long time and I think you know, Ladies Learning Code probably is at the point where they, you know, they're of course going to keep doing what they're doing, but they're also now in a good position to do something, you know, even bigger. Uh, so I, I too, as somebody, you know, watching the organization happen in front of me, I'm really excited to see what happens as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm really looking forward to see what uh, what comes out of it. Um, and so you've alluded to it a few times so far, um, but but basically right now you're running uh, this thing called the Lab. It's a digital a di digital literacy facility in in Toronto, and also Hacker U, um, which basically offers part time and full time technical courses. So how are these different from what you started with Ladies Learning Code? Yeah, so these uh, they were both born out of what what happened with Ladies Learning Code. So Ladies Learning Code was and still is amazing because it exposes so many people to you know awesome technical topics and programming languages and stuff like that. Um, but they have always been meant to be a taste. You know, in a day you can learn some stuff and you can build something cool. Um, but to build a real skill that you can you know really list on your resume or that you can you can do if an employer asks you to, um, you just need more time. That's just the reality of it. So um, we started HackerU because Ladies Learning Code participants said to us, you know, hey, we love these workshops, we love the style, this is great. Um, can you do something that's multiple months long instead of just a day? Um, so we started at HackerU. Um, it's actually the same founders as the original Ladies Learning Code team, so there's the four of us. Um, and we started it uh, just offering part-time courses, so, you know, six-week or 12-week uh, part-time courses where people come after work and they can learn you know, HTML and CSS or whatever. And then uh, this year, we moved into a new facility in downtown Toronto um, that uh, HackerU has the lease for, but Ladies Learning Code kind of sub sublets from us. Um, and we called it the lab. Uh, that was really because we wanted it to be sort of a, a blank slate space for organizations like HackerU and Ladies Learning Code and, and other groups that are doing teaching and teaching digital stuff. So um, that's the space that we run and uh, HackerU happens here, Ladies Learning Code happens here and we actually have lots of other groups using the space and renting it out um, as well. And when we moved into the space, uh, the reason I, I stopped running Ladies Learning Code to focus on HackerU, um, it also gave us a chance to introduce our, our newer program which is a full-time uh, front-end development boot camp. So we now run four uh, full-time nine-week courses per year uh, with 25 students in each and uh, have had a whole bunch of people, you know, 100 people by the end of the year uh, convert into careers where they're working as professional developers. Wow, that's really amazing, 100. That's, that's great. Um, and, and so I'm just curious, like, what kind of people come out to these programs? Uh, I mean, obviously, Ladies Learning Code was focused a little bit more on, the, on, the, on ladies, but, um, you know, who does, uh, who does HackerU attract? Uh, so it's it's a lot of the same audience. Uh, definitely, lots of people hear about HackerU because of um, you know our relationship with Ladies Learning Code. Um, but it is co-ed, uh, so we have uh, men and women come. Typically, about sixty-five percent of students across all programs are female. So it's a very 
a diverse environment that has definitely like a feeling of equality to it, um, which is something that I love a lot about it. Um, we get a lot of designers uh, who are looking to build their front end skill sets. Um, we've had people with uh, computer science degrees who are looking to uh, add to their skill sets by learning, you know, web development um, come to the program. We get a lot of people who, uh, you know, have university degrees, but feel like their job is sort of not, you know, I don't know what they were hoping it would be. It's not creative enough or interesting enough or, you know, they just feel like they can do more. And so they take a risk and, you know, leave their job or whatever and, and come to Hacker U to retrain. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I would say average age is about 27 or 28, uh, just from guessing, uh, in our bootcamp program and probably a little bit older in the, in the part-time courses that we run. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really just like a totally diverse group. Mm-hmm. And so how are you guys actually like innovating the, the education space to help these people succeed? I mean, you seem to be attracting a lot of people. I know you've got a huge passion for the education uh, field. So, what, you know, how are you guys uh, revolutionizing that or what, what elements are you introducing to make it really appealing? Yeah, I mean, the things that like sort of bleed through all of our courses that we do and they were part of the core part of Ladies Learning Code as well as uh, hands-on project-based learning. So learning through doing, mm-hmm. um, teaching things in sort of modular chunks and then having you practice right away um, and, and making the learning experience very active in that sense. So you're constantly switching between learning something and practicing it. Um, that's been a super important part of HackerU and I think the reason why when people leave our courses, whether they're uh, leaving after doing a part-time course or a full-time course, there's a level of fluency that they've attained. Um, it's not just knowledge, it's like actual, the ability to actually do something. And then uh, the other thing is a small ratio of students to instructors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important to us that people can get the answers when they need them. There's lots of ways you can learn to code online today, and those are great. Um, but the reason people come here is because they want to be able to put up their hand and ask somebody a question and have an answer to it right away. So in our bootcamp program, it's about an eight to one ratio. Uh, so we have three instructors for 25 students. And then in our um, part-time courses, it's about 10 to one. We find those ratios work really well for making sure people just, when you have a question, you don't need to keep it in. You can ask it and, and get an answer right away. Um, and then in our in our bootcamp program, um, you know, the focus is really on making sure that the skills we're teaching are aligned with what the industry is looking for. Um, so really keeping the curriculum fresh. We make improvements to the curriculum on a daily basis um, and making sure that as the the industry changes as new tools are introduced or um, new skills become valuable that we're reflecting those those skills and those changes in our curriculum as well. That's awesome. So do, can you share any uh, any plans about the future uh, of HackerU with us? Yeah, I mean, actually, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty simple. We like what we're doing here uh, as it is today. So we have uh, about 280 students a year. That's the size that we were this year, and we're gonna remain basically the same uh, next year. Pretty much introduce the same uh, course calendar next year that we did this year. It's a uh, it's a really good size. It's a team of five that run uh, that run HackerU. We've got two developer instructors on on the team, and then myself and and two others kind of manage the business side. Um, it means I get to interview all the students myself which I really love so I do about a thousand interviews a year to find the uh, 280 students who join us um, each year uh, having a personal relationship with them and being able to coach all of them through their career transition or help them to achieve their career goals is probably my favorite part of the job mm-hmm. um, so for me growth is less exciting because it means I would give up that part um, so yeah we're just gonna kind of keep it boutique and and keep it niche 
and uh, keep doing what we're doing here. Um, keep getting people, you know, to achieve their goals and, and get what they're looking for. And to be to be able to do that um, at our size for me is is really exciting. You know, to not have to constantly be pursuing growth, I think, is in a way a little bit refreshing. You know, if you can have a great business that employs people and makes customers happy and uh, makes you happy to run, then mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the ultimate. Um, and that's that's where we're at at the moment. That's cool. So I'm curious, what do you look for in, in candidates that apply to HackerU? Yeah, so the uh, the interview process for the part-time courses is really more of just a chance to make sure that what the course is going to provide is what the student is looking for. You know, so it's really just to assess mutual fit. Mm -hmm. um, the last thing I want is someone to you know pay a bunch of money and put a bunch of time into something that's not going to give them what they were looking for. So I just take the time to sit down with everyone and, and hear what their goals are, and then give them my honest opinion of whether or not I think the course is going to get them there. Um, so we find that their you know satisfaction of our students is a lot higher as well because we take that time early on. Um, for the bootcamp program, um, we're, we're looking for more, more coding experience. So we don't accept beginners into the bootcamp program. You do need to have uh, the skills of a web developer already, some basic skills. Um, but we're also looking for things like passion for coding. You know, it's, it's, it's a kind of a waste of time to spend nine weeks, you know, working really hard to learn to be a developer if that's not actually what you want to do. Um, so I talk to people about, you know, how they feel when they're coding and, and uh, is it something that they, you know, want to spend all their time doing or is it something that's a little bit of a chore and obviously the latter is not super desirable. Um, we're also looking for people who have already sort of figured out how to get a job um, because although we'll certainly help people with that, you know, it's a little bit easier if you already know how to interview, already know how to write a resume and things like that. And you're really just more pivoting rather than, um, you know, trying to, to really pick yourself up from nothing. I think this is a program for people who, um, you know, are, are close to being where they want to be, but just need a little bit of extra help. Um, that's who this program is for at the moment. And, you know, the, the nice thing about it is that, um, you know, probably the, the only real, like, major social enterprise side of it is the fact that it's exposing a lot of a lot more diverse groups to development and getting more diverse groups into doing that professionally which is obviously something that makes me really excited that's great um, so you've made investment in shoplocket now acquired by pch international so what do you look for in a startup and are you planning to make any more investments um yeah so that was i mean so far that has been a unique case um uh, the founder was my good friend Catherine, who's actually one of my uh, bridesmaids. I'm getting married in a month, and um, she thanks. Yeah, she just had this idea um, that I thought was really cool. Um, but more than that, I just knew that Catherine was, you know, just a hustler, and she was just going to go for it and was going to, you know, work her butt off and uh, and never going to give up. And so for that, for her, it was really. Um, I just believed in her as a person and I knew that she was going to make something of it. And actually, like, you know, when I gave her that money, it didn't matter if it ever came back to me at all. It was about supporting a friend. And also for me, um, I've always been really uh, excited about being a role model for, for women and for young people and stuff like that. And so um, for me to have the chance to be an angel investor at the age of, you know, 25 or however old I was back then um, was kind of a cool opportunity. So I almost looked at it as like a personal branding expense. I'm like, cool, let me like, you know, give this money and then, you know, be able to call myself this thing. Um, so I haven't made another one yet. Um, I have been working on a little bit of a side project um, that 
could turn into something at some point that I, I won't run myself, but could maybe put someone else in charge of. So I'm not going to say more about that. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's on my mind. And if I if I meet the right person or see the right idea, I think I'm in a really unique situation, even more so now, to be able to help you know take a business to the next level. Um, but it's all about the idea, and it's even more so about the person. Absolutely. So speaking about the idea and, and the people, so w what are some of the challenges that you find, uh, if, if any, that are associated to being based in Toronto and building uh, education companies, things where, you know, like you said earlier, that are, that are you know, in person where people actually are, have the opportunity to raise their hand. So it's not digital. It's not super scalable. Are there a bunch of challenges related to that? Totally. I mean, yeah, this business uh, doesn't scale very well. There's only one of me and there's only, you know, a, a certain number of um you know, amazing developers who are also great teachers. And uh, there's only a certain number of students as well, maybe, who are interested in this kind of learning. So, yeah, there's some challenges. Um, for me, I think actually non-scalable businesses are like my favorite. Um, if I can if I can be a better, uh, you know, manager or leader just by caring more, um, that's like kind of my, my sweet spot personally. So uh, with our students, you know, if we find that, you know, we want to, inspire them a bit more. We want them, um, you know, to make sure that they're having a really good time. Like we just care more <laughs> and then it works. Um, so it's not either, you know, there's nothing really scalable about that at all. Um, I don't know. Toronto is such a great market for us. It's a huge city um, and people are pretty happy to move to Toronto from, from across Canada and also from other places. Uh, so we've had students from uh, the States. We've have, had students from Brazil, uh, from Europe, um, from That's Peru, really cool. so other places. So there's a nice thing about Toronto where it's like people will move here. It is a world-class city and mm -hmm. they'll come for nine weeks and hang out or whatever. Um, uh, you know, challenges are like it's very hard to find a rental right now. A short-term rental is tough to find. So some of our students, we end up uh, working with them for quite a while trying to help them find a place to live while they're here. That might be one of our bigger challenges. But um you know, I guess uh, getting the word out is a challenge, as always, with every business. You know, there's so many uh, messages every single day. And uh, for me, actually, I really don't consider myself to be a marketer. I, I don't think I really, I even barely have a marketing skill set. Um, so we don't really do any marketing, uh, almost for like lack of even knowing what to do. Mm -hmm. um, so luckily for me, my, my students will spread the word. And that's one of the reasons it also has, has worked well. Um, but definitely in, in a city like this to cut through the noise, you know, you're going to need a good strategy. And unfortunately for me, I don't even know what that would be. Other than education, what industries or niches are you most excited about right now? Um, I mean, I still have a lot to learn about, uh, both education and technology. Um, I, uh, I obviously don't spend as much time coding as my students do. So by like, you know, week three or four, they've, they've often surpassed my skills. Um, so I, I definitely have, uh, have plans to keep enhancing my skills in that sense. And then also on the education side, um, you know, we've made a lot of stuff up and we've been doing a lot of trial by, by error and, and figuring it out as we go. And it, it's luckily worked really well. Um, but I'm excited to learn a little bit more about, you know, education theory and all the stuff that, you know, society has learned about education over the past thousands and thousands of years. So, you know, I've, I've been considering, you know, doing a, some kind of master's in education or something like that um, as a way to structure my learning and also maybe have a little bit more uh, legitimacy, um, like, you know, from outsiders who look at what we're doing here and they're like, what is that, you know, school thing that they're running? Um, so I've thought about that as like something I might tackle in the next couple of years. Um, um, 
Other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty interested in, uh, I mean, youth unemployment is one of my like really big passions and something that I, I do get to tackle here as part of my job. So I'm really happy about that because obviously we help a lot of youth to uh, become employable and get jobs. Um, but I'm really interested in what's happening with, um, you know, the fact that there's a lot of young people who are unemployed and uh, willing to like smart, smart young people willing to work and do stuff for like you know, 35 to 45 grand a year. And, and there's tons of talent at that particular um, income level. Um, so I'm really interested in seeing, uh, you know, what happens with, you know, are we going to find a solution to this? And, you know, what kind of jobs are going to open up for people um, who are young, who want to just get their start and they're eager and they're hungry to do whatever it takes. Um, and that's like a little bit of a I'm alluding a little bit to what my side project is in the space of, but uh, something I'm definitely thinking a lot about right now. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll uh, we'll stay tuned and see what what comes next. I won't I won't pry too much, but uh, there's there's a good segue. So uh, one one of the next questions I was going to ask you is, is where you plan to be in ten years and, and what you're going to be doing. And um, you know, along that route, do you have any advice to people who are just getting started with their own projects today? Yeah, ten years. So. I'll be uh, almost 40. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, one of my goals that I've been talking about for a little while, um, you know, after discovering that I'm really passionate about education, and I think education even more than tech education, like I think my passion for education is very pure um, and applies to like a lot of different sort of areas. And so I've been talking for a while about really wanting to um, build a school for my own children one day um, that, you know, would be some kind of private school that would use a lot of the stuff I've learned and, and read and research I've done and um, maybe use what I learn in this master's of education type program or whatever um, and be able to run a really cool sort of alternative school um, that again would be, you know, pretty kind of niche and small, like maybe 120 kids or something like that. Um, so that's something that I, I continue to think about and, you know, maybe as, uh, the idea of parenthood approaches, which is not super close for me, but you know, maybe maybe five years or something like that, I'll uh, I'll start thinking more about that and more seriously about that. Um, I think that would be really cool. I think I'd still love to be, you know, running or at least involved in HackerU. Like even if we end up eventually having somebody else running it day to day, like mm -hmm. just the and and maybe there's a way to expand it to be able to help. Um, you know, help more young people or, or help people gain more skills that are valuable today, not just tech skills. Um, I don't really know what that looks like, but I can imagine that 10 years down the line, there will be, you know, something there that will strike me as an opportunity that I'll, I'll want to pursue. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's, it's always been about inspiring people. It's always been about, um, you know, showing people that, you know, young people have a lot to offer and have a lot to give. And, um, and showing women and girls that they can do anything they want to do. And so if I can keep being a role model for people um, in, in a number of different areas, um, eventually including, you know, managing work and a family, um, you know, I'll consider that to be like a pretty successful career. What's your favorite programming language and why? Well, I uh, originally learned Python. That was like sort of my first uh, sort of dipping my toe into programming. Um, so that has a little bit of a special place in my heart. Um, but I honestly, I'm really excited about what you can do when you just really understand HTML and CSS really fundamentally. Mm -hmm. I think it's just the best place for anybody to start. Um, there's so many fun projects you can tackle when you know, you know, you have a vision for a website in your mind and then you can 
bring it into reality. And uh, for, for people who are interested in learning to code, I, I often suggest that as a place to start because then you'll really understand why you would want to learn JavaScript mm -hmm. afterwards is because you want to add something dynamic, you know, some cool slider or something like that to the page. And then it also helps you understand why you'd want to learn Rails because, mm -hmm. you know, suddenly you have an idea that's not just a static, you know, brochureware kind of thing. You want to have users and you want to have a database and you want to be able to store information. Um, so I really like, like, I just like HTML CSS because it's super accessible. Um, you know, you can do a one-day HTML CSS workshop and people will be so excited about what they've created. Um, but it can, it's just the starting point for so many people. Um, and like the opportunity that it brings to the table and makes clear is definitely what makes it my favorite. I mean, they're not really languages technically, yeah. but, you know, it's just like, it's just a, such a great starting point. Yeah, no, no for sure. Um, and so, so uh, just on a, on a totally different note, what, uh, what are some of your favorite uh, tools, books, or, or apps that, that you're really uh, using right now? Um, I use uh, Trello as my to-do list, uh, which I really like. I have kind of like a backlog board and then a to-do, doing, done kind of thing, and I drag stuff through. Mm -hmm. um, I have always been a little bit of a tab monster, so it's sometimes hard to find like which tab my Trello board is in, but uh, once I find it, that's sort of how I keep organized to make sure I'm not forgetting stuff. Um, we use Wave here for like invoicing and, and tracking payments and stuff like that, and that's been really good for us. Um, we use a lot of uh, Google Docs um, for, for tracking things and collaborating. And I also love, uh, I still love Microsoft Office. I use it for Mac, um, you know, still still love making Word documents and PowerPoints and stuff like that. Um, sometimes there's just like a reason you want to use that tool instead of a Google Doc. Um, in terms of apps, I just got an iPhone 6. Um, so that's been pretty cool. I basically find it to be the same. Um, the 6 or the 6 Plus? I got the 6. Okay, yeah, okay. The okay. 6 Plus would be way too big. <laughs> um, I definitely need to be able to use my phone while walking around. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it just that's half the time I'm on my phone is when I'm just like walking around. So that would be that would be not so useful. I'm trying to think about what my favorite like apps are. I was just oh. wondering if there's anything go-to for you or I don't know. I'm pretty like, you know, I I love Uber. It's very great. Uh, I was a Halo user, but they've just announced they are uh, shutting down in Toronto. So oh, no. that's done. We use, uh, we use Slack now to connect the HackerU community uh, outside of class. So that's pretty cool. You can instant awesome. message anyone from the, from the alumni community anytime via Slack. That's been really cool. Um, I am, always have been a little bit of a Craigslist junkie as well. I love Craigslist. Um, just seeing what people are selling. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Cool. Well, I, I I think that's about it. That that that's great. So thanks so much for being on the show today. Cool. No worries. Thanks for having me. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.